Tonight's reading is from John 11, verses 17 through 27. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been dead in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. My name is Josh Havman. I am the executive pastor at Grace, and I'm typically downtown. Uh, No, I have more recently downtown, but I'm typically in North Liberty. Um, so if you have never seen me before, that's why. Uh, tonight, I, am, I have the privilege of speaking about death, which may sound like a strange privilege, but it is the one that I have. And I am going to be spending a fair amount of time in Scripture tonight. So if you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app, I encourage you to have that handy because I'll go to a number of different places there. Um, Before we start tonight, uh, I do want to open in prayer. I know we just prayed a minute ago. Um, Bo just prayed a couple of times. But I do want to pray for a couple of things specifically. Um, Those of you who know Jeff Thompson know that he has been to Haiti a number of times. And perhaps you saw the news story today that about 17 uh, missionaries were kidnapped in Haiti. And uh, their whereabouts are unknown. So I wanted to pray for those folks tonight and continue to pray for Brooke Simpson Um, who has significant back problems ongoing. So if you would, just pray with me tonight for those folks. God, I ask that you would please be with those in Haiti who are there to minister and serve your your church, serve your name, Lord, to bring you glory, and they're lost now and possibly in danger, and we do pray for their safety and for their health, but also, Lord, that the gospel would go forth through their witness, uh, that the people of Haiti would know you better, um, that they would love you more, that they would see your face, Lord, that they would desire to know you and uh, that your Holy Spirit would be present in them, actively uh, enlivening them, Lord, and calling them to life lived for you. Uh, pray for those who are in the United States who are longing to know about family and friends, that you would give them comfort, knowing that you are God. And God, I pray for Brooks, and I ask that you would continue to heal him, give him more good days than bad, Lord, and continued progress and uh, health that he doesn't even believe is possible right now. Uh, for he and for Stacy both, Lord, we pray that you would do this thing for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. How long does Moses say we get on this earth? Does anybody know? It's in Psalm 90. If you know Psalm 90, Moses says we get so many years. How many years? No guess. Anybody? 70. Or if you're strong, 80. 70 or 80 years. That was Moses. It's been a few years since Moses. How long do we get today? 70, 80 years, right? Not a whole lot has changed. But a lot can change in 80 years. 
Anybody know what was happening in 1941, 80 years ago? World War II, bombing of Pearl Harbor, 1941. Fair amount going on. What about in uh, 1861? Anything going on in the United States in 1861? Civil War. That's two 80-year spans. What if we go back one more 80-year span to 1781? Anything going on in 1781? The American Revolution, among other things. Right? So a lot can happen in 80 years. That's not, that's not that strange. But of all the people that lived and died in those 240 years, how many of you know their names? How many names do you know from that span of time? How many people could you identify? How many people could you identify that don't have a statue in Washington? Not many. And so even though a lot has changed, a lot has happened even in the last generation, we don't see, we don't see people's lives and people's uh, contributions carrying forward much. They live and they die and that's it. They're gone. Now, there are some people who do contribute in ways that last. Certainly, that their, their impact is felt. Uh, one person specifically named Walter, who died in 1925, had a profound impact on most of your lives, whether you know it or not. Walter um, did something that impacted me in college where I broke my knuckle and had to have two pins put in there to hold it together. Walter regularly brings in, through his influence, 70,000 people to Iowa City. Anybody know who Walter is? If you were in first service this morning, you can't answer. Walter Camp is the father of American football. Walter Camp is not known to this group of people, even though you guys know what football is, right? Uh, Willis Carrier, another individual whose name you may not know, invented electric air conditioning. You know what he did, right? And so his contribution lasts, but you probably don't think about the person at all, don't know his name. There's another person I want to talk to you about. Uh, her name is Stephanie Kolek. Uh, she died just in 2014. So it's possible that you could have met her. She didn't die all that long ago. But does anybody know what Stephanie Kulik did or what her contribution that lasts still is? Does that name sound familiar to anybody? She invented Kevlar. It's kind of important. Body armor, police officers, soldiers use it. It's pretty significant stuff. But even that contribution, right, is going away. Just like she is going away, it's being surpassed there are new technologies. And so even the people and the things that uh, we think are important are dying. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight is what is true about death and also what is true about life. Uh, the, ser the series that we've been in is called Searching for Answers. And how do I confront death is the question that we're on tonight. And we are going to be in John chapter 11 and more than just those verses. But those are the key verses because that's where uh, Jesus asks Martha that question, what do you believe? So we are going to talk about the truth about death and the truth about life. And then also I'm going to ask you the same question. I'm going to ask you, what do you believe? Given what Jesus has just said, what do you believe? So what is the truth about death? It is inevitable. It's going to happen. We know for sure that it's going to happen. And this is what scripture says about it. It says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin or the payment for sin is death. If you don't believe that, that's okay. But this is what Scripture says. And we know that Scripture speaks with authority because it says it does. But we also know that Scripture speaks with authority because we see that this is true. In Genesis 3.19, we see that 
everything dies. And this is the beginning of this list here. Genesis 3.19. This is God talking to Adam and Eve. He says, By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Everything is breaking down. Everything is dying. The whole universe is in a state of entropy, right? Of unraveling, of coming apart. And this is inevitable. It's going to happen. Whether we want it to or not, this is a reality for us. Our bodies are breaking down. Our relationships are breaking down. The things that we have made, our creations, are breaking down. The contributions that we make. So uh, to give you some examples of what that looks like, I want to read to you uh, from Romans and from Ephesians. So first I'm going to go to Romans 6.20. If you want to turn there with me, you can. If you don't, you just want to listen, that's okay too. But in Romans 6.20, we hear a little bit, and then in Ephesians we'll hear a little bit more about what it means for our bodies, our relationships, and our creations to break down, to be subject to death. Romans 6.20 and 21 says this, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. And that just means you didn't have to be righteous. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. When we don't have Christ and when the world doesn't have Christ, everything they produce is tending toward death. When the world does have Christ, it's possible to do things that contribute to life, but not so when we don't have Christ. I'm going to turn over to Ephesians. This is chapter, uh, what did I say? Ephesians 2, starting just with verse 1 through 3 here. Paul says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So these verses just give further testimony to the things that we do, the fact that the things we do are breaking down or falling apart. Um, I said earlier that Walter Camp died in 1925, but his contribution lives on. And of course, this is obvious. When a football game happens in Iowa City, it's unavoidable. More and more people crowd into the city and the traffic jams up and you can't find a hotel room if you want one and you can't find a place to eat or to sit or to talk, right? It's just people everywhere. So that influence lives on, but it won't always. Someday, football will go the way of bowling. Someday, football will go the way of roller rinks. When was the last time you guys went to a roller rink? Anybody? Ever been to a roller rink? Got a couple people. How many of you are old enough to know the thrill, the joy of having a couple skate called and having somebody to skate with as a couple? Anybody? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Right? But roller rinks are gone, and football at some point could be gone too. What about air conditioning? Air conditioning will never be gone, right? We love air conditioning. We want to live in places like Missouri and Mississippi. We need air conditioning. How many of you have fireplaces in your homes that you depend on? We find new, better ways. We we find different ways to heat, to cool, to do all those sorts of things. And so even the things that we contribute, we feel are lasting, we think are going to last, they're not. They're dying as well. And here's the thing. Even though we know this, that death is inevitable, even though we feel our bodies breaking down and we feel our relationships and we see our relationships breaking down, many of you are uh, from homes where divorce is a reality, right? And you see relationships dying. Even though we know that, we try to escape death. We try to run from it. We try to hide from it. We're afraid of it. And so I want to go back to John chapter 11 and maybe, there we go. 
Uh, I'm going to go back to John chapter 11, and the slides are going to be a little funny. I apologize in advance. But we're going to read through this story, and we're going to see where people are trying to run from death, where they're trying to hide from death, where they're trying to get out of death one way or another. It says, At this time a man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This is the Mary who would anoint the Lord with perfume and wipe his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And when Jesus heard this, he said, well, that, that sickness will not end in death. And please do remember that Jesus says this. No, it is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so on hearing that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two days. And then he said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. Rabbi, they replied, the Jews just tried to stone you. Are you going back there? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? If anyone walks in the daytime, he will not stumble because he sees by the light of this world. But if anyone walks at night, he will stumble because he has no light. And after he had said this, he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. They thought that Jesus was talking about the actual sleep, but Jesus was speaking about the death of Lazarus. And so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I wasn't there so that you may believe, but let's go to him. And then Thomas said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go too so that we may die with him. And Thomas was being sarcastic. He doesn't want to die too, but he says this because he's afraid. And when Jesus arrived, they found that Lazarus had already spent four days in the tomb. Bethany was near Jerusalem, a little less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home, and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. And Martha replied, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she answered. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside to tell her, the teacher's here and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village, but he was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were in the house consoling Mary saw how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary came to Jesus, she saw him, fell at his feet and said, just like Martha, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they answered. And Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them asked, could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept Lazarus from dying? Death is inevitable. But all throughout this story, we see people trying to avoid that fact, trying to avoid the inevitability of death. Here's how. Through pride, through self-righteousness. Uh, in John eleven eight and 47 through 53, which I did not read, but that's the end of the story, we get this reference to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, to the Jews who are trying to kill Jesus. What are they doing? They're trying to protect their system of righteousness. They have laws that they keep, and they want to keep those laws because they want to avoid death. They don't want to die. We don't want to die either. But they think if we just are righteous enough, if we just do the right things enough, then we won't die. That's their system. And Jesus is messing with their system. So they're trying to avoid death that way. 
They're also fearful. Remember I told you Thomas was being sarcastic. He said, sure, let's go get stoned with Jesus. He doesn't mean get stoned with Jesus. He means get stoned with stones, right? He means we're going to go and die if we go with Jesus and they're going to pick up stones and throw them at us and, and kill us. He's afraid. We're all afraid. That's common. That's natural. Of course we're afraid. We don't understand death. We're going to fear it. And that takes shape in us in different ways, right? Some of us are going to hide from it. We're going to pretend that it's not for us. How many of you have done stupid things, foolish things, thinking you're invincible, right? There's only one who's invincible. Yeah, we've done that. And then also some people are going to pursue things like nihilism and oblivion. They're just going to say, you know what? Life doesn't matter. I'm afraid of death. I don't want to think about death. I'm just going to say that life doesn't matter. and I'm just going to live in that space. And some people are going to say, you know what, I just want oblivion. I'm just going to find a religion that tells me that there's not really death. You just sort of escape into nothingness. I'm going to go that route. So all of these ways are, are all of these paths are people saying, you know, I just want to avoid death. Can I just forget about death? Even through selfishness. And this one is hard because this is not an all the time thing. But in John 11, uh, 21 and 32, both Mary and Martha say, Lord, why didn't you heal Jesus? I'm sorry, Jesus, why didn't you heal Lazarus? And this is also what the Jews around him say, hey, he could heal the blind. He could make the blind see. Why couldn't he heal Lazarus when he was sick? And it isn't wrong to want healing. It is right to ask for healing. We're told to ask for healing. But sometimes we look at the death that we're presented with and we say, God, I know better than you knew. I understood better than you understood. I would have chosen to heal this person, but you didn't. I know better. My will is better than your will. And some people try to avoid death that way and say, God, it's just your fault. If you had healed, this person wouldn't have died. And they don't want to deal with the inevitability of death, that it's all decaying, that there's a consequence for sin. Death is inevitable. But here's the truth about life. Jesus Christ is invincible. We're not, but he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And he enables our resurrection by defeating death. In Romans 6, 9, it says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. In 1 Timothy, it says that Jesus has abolished death. And in Ephesians, I'm going to go back now and read from Ephesians again uh, in chapter 2, if you want to read along again, because it just started telling us about what sin was doing in the world, but then it switches in verse 4 and starts telling us what Jesus is doing in the world. And it says this in Ephesians 2, 4, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raises us up with Christ and seats us with him in the heavenly places, so that in the coming ages we might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the truth about life. Jesus Christ enables our life by defeating death. He guarantees our resurrection and also our reconciliation. In Colossians, it says this, God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Christ and through Christ to reconcile to God the Father all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of Jesus on the cross. It's like this. If you were saved from a shipwreck out in the middle of the ocean, nothing to cling to, and a ship came along and pulled you out, 
you are saved, but they never let you back on shore, then you wouldn't be redeemed, right? You wouldn't be reconciled to land. You wouldn't be fully brought back in to the fold because you belong on land. That's what you were designed for, right? Those legs, they work in the water, okay, but you're designed to walk on land. So if you're going to be saved and redeemed, you need to be back where you belong. And Jesus does both of those things. He both saves you and redeems you and reconciles you. And so this is what it means that Jesus Christ is invincible, and this is the truth about life. And also, he is preparing our eternal home as we speak. John 14, 3 says, If I go prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And that's not the end of that story either. There are lots of things that Jesus is doing. Um, And I want to read to you one more, which is, uh, let's see here, I think it is Romans 6 again, and it's includes that first, that verse up there from verse 9. So I'm going to go back to Romans 6 one more time here. Um, We had it for the the wages of sin is death, but also we have this assurance that Jesus has defeated death. And now I'm going to read to you, starting in verse 5 of uh, chapter 6. For if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. This is verse 9. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's the truth about life. He has saved us, redeemed us, and is enabling us now to live as though we were no longer dead, even though our bodies are going to die. And this is what Jesus is talking about um, when he is talking here about the inevitable consequence for sin with Mary um, and Martha. He's saying, your body will die. I'm going to go back and read that, just that quick verse to you. Um, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes me, though he die because of sin, yet he shall live. That's true. Death is the inevitable consequence for sin. But then he goes on and he says, and yet everyone who lives and believes in Christ shall never die. And what's the difference there? How can you both die and live? Well, Jesus is talking about the body and the soul. And the body, this world, is dying. It is inevitable. And yet our souls are made to live forever and he wants us to live forever with him and so he's enabling that. I don't know uh, if you all have been saved or if you remember being saved, but my salvation experience was about 40 years ago at the kitchen table with my mother. And she made me breakfast and she talked to me about Jesus and she said, I'm going to live forever and you can live forever too. And of course... I had no idea what death was at that point, right? Because I was just a little boy and it didn't really matter. But I did want to live forever. That sounded pretty good. And you can doubt the conversion experience at a young age. But as I have grown older, that has become more and more significant because I've become more and more aware that death is inevitable, that my body is breaking down. Um, I said when I spoke at the very beginning that Walter Camp, the guy who invented football, right, was part of the reason that I had broke my finger. And I was playing football in college when I broke my finger, but it was flag football that I was playing, right? I'm fragile. I'm fragile. I'm dust, and I'm returning to dust. And I know it more and more each year. 
and you will all know it more and more each year as you age. And so living forever is much more interesting to me now than it was when I was saved. And it's clearer to me now what Jesus is offering, that he is invincible in his battle with death. So this is the truth about life. And how do we face death? How do we, how do we respond when we're confronted with that, whether because of our work or because of uh, chronic illness or someone in our family or one of our loved ones has died? Here's what I suggest you do. Believe this, that there is a God and he has revealed himself through nature and scripture. Jesus is God and man. In the person of Jesus of Nazareth, he is God and man, fully God, fully man, a real person who walked the earth, died on a cross, and raised himself from the dead. That story is here, and I encourage you to read it and reread it and reread it and talk to people who have read it and live in it and dwell in it and ask yourself, is this true? Because that sounds crazy. And if you were to go onto uh, Iowa's campus and you were to tell people that you follow a 2,000-year-old dead but now alive person, they would say, oh, you're one of those. Right? Because that sounds ridiculous unless it's true. And if it's true, and I believe it is, Jesus Christ is invincible. So believe this. Believe that there's a God that has revealed himself, that he became man, that he wants us to spend eternity with him, and that by grace through faith we can be saved. That all we have to do is confess our sins and believe that Jesus' death and resurrection secures my eternal or our eternal life with him. When we're confronted with death, we need to remind ourselves of this. We need to remind ourselves of the truth. And that death is inevitable, but Jesus is invincible. That death must come, but he is one. That death has no victory and no sting because they're crucified and buried with Christ. That he rose again, that death is being destroyed, and eternal life starts now. This is what Jesus says. Uh, This is what Paul says. This is what all of the writers in the New Testament are constantly reminding us. That your new life in Christ starts now. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. Literally, he says those words in Matthew chapter 10. He says, if they can kill your body, that's okay, because they can't kill your soul. He says, be afraid of the one who can kill your soul, right? That's the problem. But don't worry about your body. It's going to die. This whole world is passing away. That sounds really pretty nice. It's pretty well done for a sermon, if I do say so myself. We've got some nice bullet points there. Uh, They're reasonably well understood. You could throw those at people all day long, right? I can give you printed copies if you want to literally throw them at people. There's a problem with that, though. It doesn't really ring true for somebody who's hurting, and it doesn't really ring true for somebody who's struggling. And for that, you need something else. When Jesus walked this earth, he did not just throw words at people. He did not just tell them the truth. He did tell them the truth, but he also lived alongside of them and he showed them the truth. And sometimes that's all we can do. Sometimes all we can do is love people the way Jesus loved them. We can mourn with them the way that he mourned with them. He wept over Lazarus. Remember, I, said you to rem- I told you to remember that Jesus told his disciples Lazarus didn't have the sickness that led to death. But then Lazarus died. What was Jesus talking about? Lazarus believed in Jesus. And he did not have the sin sickness that leads to soul death. He did die. We all die. That's the consequence for sin. But the sickness that he had didn't mean that he was going to be separated from God. And so Jesus was not worried about him. But he still mourned. He still went to Mary and Martha and he still wept with them. And we should too. 
and he's still celebrated. Jesus went to parties. Jesus got a bad reputation for going to parties, right? They said of Jesus, here's the guy who goes to drinking parties and hangs out with prostitutes. Don't listen to him. That was his reputation. So he went to parties. He enjoyed life, and he wept with those who wept. And that's also the truth, and that's also how you confront death. I want to read to you tonight uh, to wrap up my portion, something that I wrote when my daughter Mariah was in the hospital. Um, Some of you know, some of you do not, that my daughter contracted leukemia, uh, developed leukemia, I guess is the right word, um, when she was five years old. And she was uh, admitted at the university. And when she was first diagnosed, we really didn't know what the journey was going to look like. Thankfully, we know now that she would come out okay, that she's healthy and well, and that she's doing well now, and that it's no longer a part of her life. Praise the Lord. I am so excited about that. Trust me. But when I wrote this, we didn't know that. And the reason that I wrote this was to express to myself as much as to anyone that this is how you confront death. All of our children are named intentionally, which isn't to say that other people name their kids by pulling names out of hats. But just my wife and I, Michelle and I, wanted to find names that had additional significance for us. So our second daughter's name is Zion Victoria because Zion is a place variously described in Scripture as a mountain, a city, and even heaven. And our belief is that true victory is associated with that place. And so we named her Zion Victoria to remember through her name the significance of that belief. And the same is true of our son Isaiah, um, Ezra, Abram, and our other daughter, Mariah Emmanuel. Mariah is also a place, also a mountain. It's the mountain that some scholars believe that Abraham was called to sacrifice Isaac on. And those who know that story recall that Abraham takes his son Isaac to the mountain, fully intending to obey God and kill his son. The young man is bound and a knife is raised before God rewards Abraham's faithfulness by providing a ram that can be sacrificed instead. So Isaac is spared and Abraham keeps his son and everybody is happy and that's the end. Kind of. Many people, both Christian and otherwise, point to this episode in the Bible and they say, this is a problem. God's not being very nice. Christians frequently find this story difficult because it suggests that God has this specific relationship with his people that he requires them to endure pain so that he can be satisfied. And others look at it and they say, well, no, God is just evil. They say God, Yahweh, is no different than any other man-made monster, and he's just there to explain why there are bad things. I don't believe that's correct. In the story of Mount Moriah, I see that God is with us, and that that is what Emmanuel means, really, God with us. And I believe that God is doing something special on that mountain with Abraham and Isaac. At the start of it, Abraham believes that God wants to kill his child, but when the ordeal's over, he's learned that God actually wants to show his faithfulness to those who love him. And if you want to say, you know what, it seems like there ought to be a better way to go about that, I agree with you. There ought to be a better way to go about that, but God is, he is. Supernatural God exists, and if a supernatural God exists, I concede that there's somebody who knows more than I do. So this is the way God said it had to go down. And the moral of the story is God didn't want Isaac to die. In fact, he doesn't want any of us to die, so much so that he came and he sent his own son, Emmanuel, to be a sacrifice for any who would call on the name of the Lord to be saved. 
So on our own Mount Moriah, whatever that is, God is with us in the person of Christ Jesus. And perhaps that's too big a pill to swallow for you, but that is my best possible hope. I wrote this while I was lying at my daughter's bedside with that life-threatening disease in her body. With that disease in her, I was faced with despair and sorrow mostly for her. Because I didn't want to see her in pain and also because of the difficulty that I knew she would suffer in the coming weeks and the months and the years that would follow of her treatment. And also because I knew in this world there's trouble and that even if my Mariah had never encountered leukemia, she would still struggle in this life. But I didn't believe that on that mountain of trial that God was not willing to save her. In fact, I believed that he was willing to give his life for her. And my only other alternative was to offer her mindless escape and darkness at the end. Love for a little while, but ultimately nothing. That's the only other thing I knew to offer her besides Jesus. So I meditated on her name to remember that in the darkest trial, when it appears that my child's life might be at stake, that God is with us and Emmanuel is here. And when she asks why, and she has asked why as she's gotten older, why did I have to do that? Why have I had to have cancer? Why has it affected these things in my life? I've told her, I don't know, because I don't. And that's true. And death is inevitable, and we are dying, but we don't understand all of it. Just what God has told us. But I will tell her, and I have told her, that the one who knows went through death for her sake. That he died, he lives, and I believe that she and I can live with him forever in a place where there's no sorrow, no pain, no death, forever. And I was content to offer that to Mariah. And I think that we can be content to offer this or this. Some people will be ready to hear words like these. Some people will require you to just live with them, just mourn with them, just rejoice with them, just show them the love of Christ. And that's all you can do, and that's okay. But do it with the full knowledge that though death is inevitable, Christ is invincible that he has won the victory, the battle is already done, and that you can live now as though you live eternally, because you do, that's true. So don't get lost in the despair. Don't get lost in the darkness. And don't get lost thinking death is all there is. It is inevitable. It will happen. But Christ is victorious. You pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that you would enable us to see your victory And Lord Jesus, I pray that you would enable us to see that this death, this destruction in this world is grievous. It's awful. You don't want it any more than we do. That you are in fact coming again to redeem all things to yourself, Lord. But in the meantime, help us to rightly lament what has gone wrong in this world. Help us to rightly be sorrowful for the destruction and the death that is inevitable at this point. And help us to cling to your face, Lord to cling to your knees, to cling to all of you and to just trust you, Lord, when we don't trust even our own breath, to know that you are good and great and that you will give us all things in yourself. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.